Hi, everybody. Um, welcome to uh, the final Sunday of 2020. Um, I can't believe we're here at this point. Um, I still remember uh, preaching one of the first sermons this year and talking about a world that was going through a lot of calamities at that time. Um, and I didn't think that that year at that time could get any worse. But uh, this 2020 um, has been a year unlike any, any other. Um, as you see in front of me, um, we've just have the five candles of the Advent season lit before us, the candle of hope, the candle of love, the candle of joy, and the candle of peace, and more recently, the center candle, the Christ candle that's been lit. And more so than any other time in the history of my life, I felt like we needed all five of these candles lit and burning brightly for the world to see. The year 2020 um, has been uh, one that I think many would agree has been filled with unexpected heartache. It's been one that's been filled with a lot of disappointments, uh, a lot of inconveniences that just sort of came out of nowhere. The one most common sentiment that I hear almost everybody universally saying is, I can't wait for this year to be over. Um, and who could blame them? Who could blame them, right? If you had told me at the beginning of this year that, um, that this year would be marked by just sort of a series of one disaster after another, um, I don't know if I would have believed you. We're coming on the heels of a year where the killings of people like George Floyd and, and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and, and a whole lot of other innocent people had led to local, statewide, nationwide protests um, crying for racial injustice uh, issues and for reconciliation and for reckoning to happen. Um, we're coming off a year where California has just seen sort of the cyclical pattern of fire after fire after fire destroying so much of our landscape. We're coming off a year where we've seen our president get imp impeached. We've seen our stock market crash in March. We've seen um, people questioning the validity of our entire national election process. Um, and we've witnessed the worst pandemic in the history of human civilization in the last 100 years, which has fundamentally changed the way we live and breathe and move in society. It's been a year where I can't remember one year where we've had so many iconic figures leave this earth to die on us this year, right? whether it be the NBA legend Kobe Bryant or the actor Chadwick Boseman or um, the, the iconic James Bond guy, Sean Connery, or Jeopardy, the longest-running syndicated show, and Alex Trebek dying of pancreatic cancer um, after being the, the longest host uh, on a television series. Um, or Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, or the rock and roll icon Eddie Van Halen, or 
the Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias or the guy that broke the sound barrier, Chuck Yeager, or the great soccer player, Diego Maradona. Um, if you're a baseball fan, names like Lou Brock, Whitey Ford, Joe Mar- Morgan, Tom Seaver, all died this year. Politicians like Herman Cain and, uh, and revolutionary congressmen like John Lewis, um, television show hosts like Regis Philman, and actresses like Kelly Preston, entertainers like Little Richard, um, international movie stars like Irfan Khan and musicians like Kenny Rogers and actors like Kirk Douglas and NBA commissioners like David Stern. I can go on and on and on. All the names that I've mentioned to you, um, they are like household names. And I can't recall a year in recent history where we have lost so many people that were household names all in a concentration of one year. And yet, despite all the loss this year, I think the thing that that we are all uh, being touched by in a very deep way has undoubtedly been the COVID-19 pandemic, right? As I was looking up um, the results this morning, even before um, I walked into church, over 1.75 million people on this earth have lost their lives because of COVID-19 worldwide. And U.S. just eclipsed the 330,000 death toll mark, all right? So let me put this in perspective for you. One in 1,000 Americans have died this year because of COVID-19. One in 1,000. What a year. And of all places right now, L.A. County has sort of become this hotbed in the entire world with skyrocketing numbers, right? The statistics tell us that one person is dying in L.A. County as we speak every 10 minutes. One person every 10 minutes. Um, working as a family medicine doctor at Kaiser, I'm, I'm very aware of, of all the movements that are happening in local hospitals. I never thought in my wildest imagination that we would be living, that I would in my lifetime be living in a time when we would actually run out of ICU beds in the entire L.A. County. We have about 2,500 licensed ICU beds, which are all completely gone, right? Filled to capacity over our multiple hospitals. We are, we're making shift ICU beds. We're putting people on ventilators in hallways, in, in new rooms, in ER overcrowded areas. Um, we just don't have the resources to keep up with the search. If you had told me all these things would happen in the year 2020, um, I would have said you're, 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 you're writing a Hollywood nightmare story here. Um, but yet this is reality. If you told me we'd be walking in a time and place where we have to wear masks and we can't shake one another's hands and we have to socially distance six feet and we can't meet together regularly in person uh, to, to fellowship with one another on Sunday mornings. I, I don't think my mind could have conceived that before entering this year. And so, yeah, when people wish that they can't wait for this year to be over, I think many of us can resonate with that space, with that feeling, with that exhaustion, with that weariness. And yet, amidst these trying, unprecedented, challenging times, um, I think the one word that, that has breathed um, 
hope um, and as a tool and as a strategy on all levels, whether secular or, or religious that I've heard over and over again from leadership circles on a way to survive and move forward through this time is the word nimble, N-I-M-B-L-E. I bet a lot of people didn't, don't even know what, the, what, what that word actually means. And I had to actually look it up so I understood the subtlety of what it means to be nimble. We've heard people in every industry in life talking about, in this time, the value of being nimble is, is a wonderful strategy to kind of navigate these unprecedented, unchartered waters. Um, Merriam-Webster, the dictionary, defines the word nimble this way, quick and light in motion, right? Being agile from being alert, clever, sensitive, and responsive. Nimble, nimble, nimble. I've heard leaders from every facet of life talk about the value of being nimble in this time. As you guys all know, if you've been watching the news, um, Operation Warp Speed, has been this amazing public-private partnership that was initiated by the U.S. government this year to kind of help facilitate and accelerate the development of of therapeutics and and diagnostics and vaccines, all with regard to the COVID-19 pandemic. And, And Operation Warp Speed, I first heard it like tail end of April of this year, and then come May... Um, it actually became formally announced. And as our first stimulus package was being rolled out and 10 to $11 billion of that was set aside for Operation Warp Speed, um, I think our government and, and our society at large recognize that we are in the middle of an unprecedented pandemic and we needed to move and think and breathe differently than we ever had before in the last 100 years to, to get through this. Um, that we had to die to our old ways of thinking as we looked, up, looked at possible um, ways to handle, from a medical perspective, this pandemic. Um, I will tell you that working at Kaiser, one of the first things we did this year was we were so used to seeing patients face-to-face all the time. 90% of the time, we would typically see face, patients face-to-face. But when this pandemic broke, and, and we, we had originally seen people 90% of the time face-to-face and 10% of the time virtually through phone calls or video visits. Well, what happened was when um, the COVID-19 pandemic hit and broke loose, we actually had to flip-flop and go the other way around. We wound up having to see patients virtually through video visits and telephone calls 90% of the time. And our face-to-face visits went down to 10%. That was our version of nimbleness working in a healthcare organization. Um, We had to think about how do we get lab work done. So we started a drive-through feature where people could drive through and get blood work and testing done. Um, We thought about other innovative ways to take care to people's homes that were high risk that we had never thought of before. We had to reinvent at every single level the way we were going to move and to execute medicine. Um, and, and, And that has been an amazing, amazing journey. Now, I'll tell you... um, in, in the last few months, as I've kind of been just looking at what's happening at the world, um, 
and, and I particularly developed an interest in like looking at stock markets and understanding economies. Um, I've been really struck by how the companies that have been managed in the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones and NASDAQ, the companies that have been the most nimble, the ones that have been able to adapt and find creative ways to move differently in this time of great need and unprecedented disaster, those are the ones that are managing to thrive and, dare I say, um, thrive well, not just survive, but thrive well. Whereas others who have sort of stayed in their old ways of functioning have declared bankruptcy or their profit margins have dropped off significantly. And so the world as a whole, um, whether it's in healthcare or whether it's in the economies and stock exchanges and businesses, they've picked up on the value of nimbleness, okay? And the, and the, and then absolute need to walk and move and tread lightly and differently and 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 sway with 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 the times to a degree um, that they need to in order to to get past this pandemic. Our church here at VCF, we've been doing similar things. Um, we've managed to trend to basically transition into a virtual space, right? From daily prayer meetings that are done virtually to weekly Bible studies and pod groups that meet virtually to um, our Sunday services like today happening virtually. Um, and even once in a while, we figured out how to, to, to meet together uh, with sort of a blended virtual and person-to-person formats like we did at the fall feast um, in October or more recently last Sunday at the Festival of Lights. Uh, but we have had to move differently as a church so whether it be on you know on a national level, on a corporate level, even on a church logistical level, we have learned the value of nimbleness to move in a nimble way. And as I was praying for what the Lord would have me share with you today, um, the Lord just impressed upon me the need to take nimbleness one step further, right? From the government and work and church environments, all where it has actually proved itself practically, all the way down to our spiritual day-to-day lives. What does spiritual nimbleness look like for you and me in our day-to-day spiritual lives? I want to just take a moment to pray for us. Um, Lord, we just thank you for everybody joining joining us this morning, Lord, in worship and, and joining us to receive a word from you. Lord, I pray that even as I speak, that you would help me uh, to submit myself um, to, to the leadings of your Holy Spirit, to the things that you are dropping in me real time, uh, that you would enable me to be nimble, even as I share these next few minutes, Lord, that you would help me abandon all the constructs or rigid ways that, may, that I may have and help me to impart, Lord, in real time in keeping with the moving of your spirit. Um, I pray, Father, that as people listen today, that they are touched, their spirits are moved, that, that you would, Lord, call them to places of, of being more nimble uh, in their day-to-day lives, Lord, so that they may be quick in listening to your word when you speak and moving with a, with a speed that they've known that they've never known before, 
Um, and so, Lord, we welcome you into this space. Um, open our hearts, open our minds, Lord. May your words penetrate um, into the, the lives of your flock, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, spiritual nimbleness. You know, there, there are a lot of characters in Scripture that we can look at to delve into um, to, to this idea of spiritual nimbleness, right? But I want to actually take a look at um, a man in Scripture who actually uh, never spoke a recorded word in the entire Scripture narrative, right? It's kind of odd that I'm preaching today about a man uh, who never spoke a word. Uh, he's in, the, in Scripture, and you all know who he is, but he actually never spoke a written word that was captured. Um, he was a carpenter by trade. The Hebrew word was tekton, um, a, a handyman, somebody who was very good with his hands. He was betrothed to be uh, married to the mother of Jesus, Mary. Um, scripture tells us that he was a man that came from the lineage of King David. Fourteen generations had come and gone from Abraham to King David. And another 14 generations had come from King David to the time of exile in Babylon. And finally, another 14 generations had come from the exile to the time of the Christ child being born. And so 42 generations had passed from the time of Abraham to the Christ child being born. And, and our character today comes from that lineage of, of King David. Now, the frequency with which he is mentioned in Scripture is actually very, very small. It's actually quite underwhelming. The only two places where he is mentioned or referenced or, um, is really in the book of, of Matthew and Luke. Um, and... Um, and he's not mentioned by the Apostle Paul in any of his 13 epistles. He's not mentioned by any other author. And, um, and he likely died um, somewhere between the time that Jesus was 12 um, and before he started his public ministry, before the Lord started his public ministry at age 30. And unlike Mary, um, Jesus' mother, he wasn't around to see Jesus' public ministry or him being crucified. Um, if you haven't figured out by now who we're talking about, it's obviously Joseph, um, the father of Jesus. And, um, and so for a man um, who didn't echo one word that was documented or caught in the, in the biblical narrative, we are actually going to spend this morning diving into this man. He was a man that, may I submit to you this morning, his actions spoke louder than words. He was a man whose actions spoke louder than words. And I think if we, as we do a deep dive into his life um, today um, and what he did and how he responded um, I, th I think you will agree that that he ha he displayed spiritual nimbleness better than 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 anyone else I can think of. Um, so, without further delay, let's just dive into God's word, 
Um, join me, if you will. Uh, we're going to start in the book of Matthew. We're going to spend time in chapters 1 and 2 today. And we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to start with verse 18. Just a little background for you. Matthew 1, you get the whole genealogy uh, from the, the, of Jesus Christ, um, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Uh, the first part of chapter 1 kind of marches us through um, all, the, um, all, all, all the descendants from Abraham all the way to the birth of, of, of Jesus. And we pick up the story um, after the genealogy has been ended. And, and here we are in verse 18. And we're going to take a look today at four dreams that Joseph, the father of Jesus, had and the way in which he moved with regard to these four dreams uh, that spoke volumes. And I believe the Lord has something very precious for each and every one of us today as we consider how Joseph moved with regard to his four dreams. So here we go. Verse 18 of chapter 1, Matthew. Okay, And it reads as follows. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Hmm. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. So what do we learn about Joseph right here? Right, Scripture describes him as a righteous man. A righteous man. A man who was in right standing with God. A man who was actually zealous for upholding uh, God's laws. And, um, and, and yet what I'm struck by the most is that uh, he was a man of mercy. Um, because you see right here, as the story unfolds, we find that, um, that Mary uh, is found to be with child. And yet, and yet they were, Joseph had just been betrothed to Mary. They had not been sexually active. They were not formally married. Um, and yet uh, Mary is suddenly with child. Now, I want you guys to just consider the gravity of this, okay? There is no historical context in the past of any anyone having a virgin birth up until that point in history okay so ima- imagine what what is going through um, joseph's mind the disappointment the heartache the righteous indignation right his own futures his entire future um, that looked promising at one point um, with his bride to be is now completely thrown off by what he thinks um, is an act of adulterous betrayal on the part of Mary. Like, how else do you explain that? How else do you explain that my fiance, the one that I am supposed to spend the rest of my life with, is suddenly with child and I have not been sexually active with her? So, how does Joseph? actually make sense of that. There is no scriptural paradigm for that. There is no stories from the patriarchs of old about something like that ever happening. So how do you make sense of that? 
he had every right to be furious, right? Um, and, and, but yet, he decides to be merciful. And I'm really, really impressed with him already. He decides to be a man of mercy because he decides he's going to quietly divorce her without bringing attention to the situation because he knows he knows the reproach that would come especially upon Mary that it could actually cost her her life because the punishment for uh, for any kind of a extramarital or adulterous affair was st- death by stoning and so essentially Joseph decides, despite of how angry I am, how upset I am, how Mary has let me down, um, I am not going to um, bring public shame on her. I'm going to quietly divorce her and I'm going to spare her life because otherwise if people get wind of this, they will stone her and she will die. And, and so he decides to exercise mercy. I'm impressed with this guy already. Um, I can tell you he's a far, far better man than, than me in my younger years. Um, I, I can remember vividly all the times in my life where I felt really wronged by people. And, and my older version, um, even as recent as my mid-20s uh, or late 20s, um, would have been a person who, who really wanted to let the person know who wronged me how greatly they've wronged me, and I would not hold back. But Joseph was a better man. I'm not going to share examples, but if you're ever interested, ask me offline on another day. Um, But Joseph was a better man than I. Um, He pushed through the cultural reproach. And that's the first point I want to make and for us to consider about what it means to be nimble. You got to be willing to push through the cultural reproach um, when, when, when something gets dropped in you that's of God. And, and we're going to talk about that in just a second as we read on. Read on to verse 20. Um, so, so basically, Joseph goes to bed resolving in his heart that he's going to quietly divorce Mary, right? Um, and, and he goes to bed. I, I'm sure that being a righteous man, he would have lifted up the situation before God. He would have prayed about it, and he would have gone to bed with a resolution um, of, of what's going to happen the next day, according to him, right? But then check out verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her, I'm going to say that again, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up from this dream, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Jesus. 
Wow. I mean, I want you guys to consider the gravity of what just happened right In verse 20, um, the angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and he says, do not be afraid. What is conceived is from the Holy Spirit. Now, I want us to just pause from that because there is a literal meaning to that. Obviously, the virgin birth having taken place and and Mary conceiving um, by the work of the Holy Spirit without a natural union um, with, uh, with Joseph. But I want us to just step back for a second as I was praying over this verse of what it means for the Holy Spirit to conceive in us. I will submit to you that the most precious things in life that we as believers receive, that things that have eternal value, things that meet human need, things that are of destiny proportions, are ones that are conceived by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that again. The most precious things in life that have eternal consequences that will turn this world upside down, that will be a part of your destiny and my destiny, the things that will be echoed in the halls of eternity, those things, they are birthed and conceived by the Holy Spirit and deposited in us. Because we live and breathe with regard to a living God who knows the past, present, and future. And I find it interesting that something about David, about Joseph's spirit captures and recognizes the fact that something of Holy Spirit proportion has happened. And his soul resonates with the fact that the Holy Spirit has moved and deposited something in Mary. And he recognizes that. What really, really strikes me is that in verse 24, it says that when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded. Okay? He was so in tune with God that he didn't question the validity of his dreams. He didn't wake up that morning and say, maybe that was the rice and curry I had, or that was the noodles from last night. Or it was the casserole from my lunch the day before. He actually didn't question it. His soul recognized the minute his eyes opened up. He woke up and he recognized that the Holy Spirit was on the move. He acted without hesitation. Like scripture doesn't say that he didn't sit there and overanalyze it. He didn't, he didn't reflect on it and go running to a bunch of friends to get their input. Uh, He didn't sit there and write a risks versus benefits analysis of what he received. He just went. He just did it. And he executed what God asked him to do with precision. Like, he didn't change anything. He didn't get in God's way. He just said, I recognize this is from the Lord, so I am going to execute. I don't even need to speak a word. I just need to do. He was a man of great action. Very few words, according to scripture, but or none, actually, that's recorded. But his action speaks so loud, so loud. He executed God's game plan to precision. You know, he didn't dig his 
feet deep into into the soil and say, you know what, I'm I'm not going to move. I I'm going to stay stuck in my own ways of thinking. But instead, he chooses to be light-footed and agile and be sensitive to what was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And church, I want to ask you this morning, have you guys ever gone to sleep recently or in times past where you went to bed one day saying in your heart, you've considered things and you've resolved you're going to move a certain way And then you pray about it and you go to sleep. But you have your decision very clearly in your mind about how you're going to move. You submit that to the Lord and then you go to sleep, right? Only to wake up the next morning and find that your disposition towards what you prayed about has completely changed. The plan that you wanted to execute at 10 p.m. the night before is very different than what you're feeling you will do at 5 or 6 a.m. the following morning. Um, and, I, and, and, and for those of you who have experienced that radical change overnight, a change that happens from you just sleeping, a, a, a change that happens because the Holy Spirit has met you and your soul has recognized that in the, in the deep hours of the night and early hours of the morning, so much so that when you wake up and you, your senses are heightened again to the world, um, you are able to recognize the shift that has happened in your soul because you have recognized what the Holy Spirit has birthed. It's an amazing thing when you see that practically play itself out in our lives. As I walked into church today, um, I was just reminded just a few years ago of a wonderful story that happened with a lady um, that was a part of our Alpha group um, a few years ago downstairs in the fellowship hall. I remember she was a part of um, one of our groups, and as, as we kind of pressed into um, week seven or eight of the 12-week series, um, she had been sharing with the group about um, sort of some problems she's been having with her sister's for decades and decades and decades, one sister in particular. And she had really not been talking to her sister, and both her and her sister were getting up there in age, and, um, and there was a lot of bitterness that had grown. And yet, as she was going through the Alpha course, she sensed that, that the, the Lord wanted to change the situation. And so um, she, she, she prayed about it one night, and... And she hadn't talked to her sister for decades and she went to sleep and and she woke up the next morning and suddenly things had changed. And we asked her in the weeks that, that came afterwards, uh, what changed? And she said, well, that night after I prayed and gave it up to the Lord, the Lord actually gave me dreams and visions of my sister and myself playing together, playing together when we were little children when we were six years and seven years and ten years old. And I remember playing in the grass fields with her, and God just gave me those vivid, vivid pictures of myself and my sister playing so fondly together, so much so that when I woke up the following morning, I, I hadn't spoken to my sister for such a long time. I picked up the phone and I called her internationally, and we wept and we cried and we reconnected after so many years of hostility and bitterness. 
that is what the living God can do for people who are willing to be nimble. Um, I remember this time last year, it was around December um, 2019, and, um, and my brother had actually uh, finished writing his book, The New Great. And, um, and, and I remember he was considering when to actually have the book release. And, um, and one thing you will never get assured of in our Sri Lankan culture are opinions. And people will chime in and give their opinions whether you like it or not. And so whether it's my dad or all his friends, they were kind of tossing around the idea of, well, why don't you do it in spring 2020? That would be a perfect time to release the book. Why are you rushing to do it now? You know, Christmas time has so many other festivities going on. People are busy. Don't bother doing it now. Wait till spring of 2021, uh, of 2020 rather than December of 2019. And I remember that conversation and, and I remember asking my brother about it and, um, I remember him saying, you know, it just feels right for me to do it now. I just feel God saying, do it now. And, and so without delay, despite all the impracticalities, despite the cultural kind of backlash for, for doing it at the expense of other parties and other things going on, um, you know, he, he, and, and I remember my dad and I having the conversation and my dad specifically asking me, why is your brother doing such a rushed, foolish thing? Why does he have to respond to God right now and do it? You know, God will be around in April as well of 2020. Why do it in December 2019? And I don't think my brother had all the answers, but he just knew enough to say, um, I need to do it now. This is when I feel the time is right. Lo and behold, a couple months later, the pandemic hits and we couldn't gather in groups anymore. And in retrospect, we were so thankful as a family that he was able to have his book release in December because had we waited, like what everybody in, in the cultural circle said and waited till April, that group of 100 plus to 200 could not have gotten together um, for the book release. So just a personal example from our life that, that resonated a lot. Um, so first thing I want you guys to really, really hone in on in terms of nimbleness is you got to be able to push through cultural reproach. Joseph had to be willing to say, I am going to stand by Mary's side um, despite what the, what, what, what may come from all my relatives who are going to see her pregnant and they know that you know, we have not been married yet and the reproach of that. He was willing to put himself in that space and live in the midst of that cultural backlash that would come. Um, the lady that I talked about as part of the Alpha group, she was willing to, to break the cultural norms and as the older sister reach out to the younger sister to offer the apology, which, which you know, culturally may not have been the most kosher thing to do. But, but she was willing to push past cultural norms because she knew, she recognized what the Holy Spirit was doing. And so if pushing past culture is, is one, one obstacle and one barrier in moving nimbly, um, I want us to jump to the second thing, which is pushing past comfort. 
Um, and we'll see that as we march into um, Joseph's second dream. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. And just to bring us up to speed, what's happened from the time that um, Joseph's first dream has happened, um, Joseph has taken uh, Mary to, to be his wife. The child, Christ child has been born. The Magi have come to visit. Um, and, um, and the Magi had come, the three wise men, um, at the request of King Herod, who was inquir- making inquiries uh, into who this Christ King um, is. And, and so that has happened. The Magi have now left the manger scene and ma- left, left uh, visiting the child. And now uh, we pick it up with verse 13 in chapter 2. And here comes Joseph's second dream. When they had gone, they meaning the Magi, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, again, what really, really strikes me is that after Joseph receives the second dream, what does he do? He gets up. He gets up in the middle of the night in a very inconvenient way, willing to sacrifice his comfort. And, and he goes, he takes Mary and the child, and he, he travels from where they are all the way to Egypt. Now, historians tell us that journey uh, was probably about, um, about um, 40, 40 miles or so. Um, it was no short distance. to So imagine a woman who's just given birth uh, um, and, and Joseph and the, the child traveling 40 miles. Uh, maybe they had a, a donkey or a mule at their disposal, but that's all they had and they had to pack up everything and, and just move in the middle of the night um, because of the dream that Joseph had received. Joseph, again, doesn't question it. He doesn't stall. He doesn't delay. He doesn't wait till sunrise. He just moves in the middle of the night. And I am so impressed by his nimbleness here. He could have sat and done an inventory. He could have said, you know what? I am being asked to move from the land that I know to Egypt, a completely foreign territory. I, you know, I need time for cultural assimilation. I, I need to prep for my move to Egypt. I need to, I need to reach out and make sure I have some kind of job or trade set up, right? To make sure I can financially provide for my family as a carpenter. I don't know what job prospects are there. The Egyptian government is not promising any kind of a stimulus package that's going to help me out in this move, right? And so he, he has to make this split decision and move in the middle of the night without processing, without having the benefit of all the preparation for the move. It's just, he wakes up, he knows in his spirit 
that that he has received this this command to go to go west from where they were and so they head out west to Egypt to begin a 40-mile journey and they would stay there stay there for a total of 3 years um that kind of nimbleness to be able to move without the benefit of preparation um is something that that just really impresses me about the way Joseph leads his family now i i can i can really relate to this i i know what it's like um to have to get up in the middle of the night and move and what an arduous task that is see in 1983 when we as many of you know we grew up in sri lanka and there was a civil war and we were part of the minority group and when riots broke out and we lost everything in our home and our car was burned and we were held at knife point with shots all over and our neighbors killed um we had to make a decision to get up and flee in the middle of the night for the sake of our lives we packed everything we had into two little suitcases and myself and my mom uh and myself and my grandmother and my uncle who was staying with us we all just put everything in two suitcases in the middle of the night and and we we rushed out of our home uh which was located in a, in a hotbed area of, of all the rioting that was going on um and i remember that day in july 1983 very well when we literally had to put everything onto a cargo ship and go from southern sri lanka all the way to northern sri lanka to an area called jaffna we had to flee in the middle of a night not knowing what the future would hold um and to get up and relocate in the middle of the night is no easy thing um so i can relate to what joseph was going through and then a couple years later we had to make the decision again very quickly to leave sri lanka and come to the united states in december 1983 uh, 1985 it was a very narrow window that we had uh to relocate to leave our comfort zone the people that we knew uh the relatives that we had the village that we needed to 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 help me grow up all of that got lost very quickly and i can imagine what joseph is going through as he's contemplating the move right like literally he gets up and he's got to realize as he's being asked to move to egypt that he has to leave behind his extended family and other people that could help in the raising of the Christ child that that he called his kin he had to leave all of them and just go literally overnight and start this 40 mile journey westward um impressive 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 man is joseph um and and i want us to ask ourselves church in this season how has nimbleness looked when we're asked to push past comfort right for many of you like what does that mean in real time So the Lord may stir up and the Holy Spirit might drop a word to say, you know what? Buy so and so, your neighbor, some groceries because they're running out of the toilet paper and the crucial essential things. Are you willing to push past your comfort and say, "Okay, Lord, I'm not going to wait a week or two to see what happens. I'm just going to get in the car right now. I'm going to go down to Vons, I'm going to go down to Ralphs, buy this and drop it off at my neighbors who 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 I believe you're telling me is in need. 
Um, are you willing to call that friend up when the Holy Spirit stirs in you? Even though you might be in the middle of a lot of craziness and responsibilities yourself, when the Lord drops that thought to reach out to a friend, are you willing to pick up that phone and say, you know what, I'm just going to break away and, and this is very uncomfortable for me to do this right now, but I'm going to do it because I feel the stirring of, of what the Holy Spirit is conceiving, the seed that he's planting, the movement of God real time. You know, when you get a, a message asking for prayer, are you willing to stop everything at your job and just say, Lord, I'm just going to put everything else on pause. I know there's craziness around me, but this prayer request that's coming is, is gripping me in a very heavy way. Am I willing to stop everything and just go at it with God for five minutes or ten minutes or even two minutes and lift that prayer request unto, unto the Lord um, in the most inopportune, most uncomfortable times? Um, are you willing to send a text to somebody when God and the Holy Spirit drops something in you that says, text somebody with this prophetic word, with this encouraging word, with this nerd word that they need in season? Um, are you willing to stop everything you're doing and do that right then and there? Are you quick to obey? Are you nimble? Are you that light-footed that you can respond to God without saying, ah, this is not a comfortable time? And so if the first barrier was pushing against you know, cultural expectations as we're trying to be nimble, and the second barrier is pushing against comfort um, as we saw Joseph going through both of that, I would say the third barrier, and this is a peculiar one, is pushing through confusion. These are the three C's, right? Comfort, uh, culture, comfort, and, and confusion. And let's, let's dive into this as we look at Joseph's third and fourth dreams. Um, here we go. Let's pick up from verse 21 uh, of chapter 2. Um, and so... Um, Actually, we'll, we'll, we'll start from verse 19. Um, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So three years have passed, and now the angel appears to Joseph again and says, You know what? Herod's dead. Go back in the eastward direction and go back from Egypt, go back to Israel, right? And because Herod's dead, he's no longer a threat. So what does Joseph do? He doesn't stall. He got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel, verse 21 tells us. But when he heard that Achilles was reigning in Judea in place of his father, now Achilles was the eldest son of King Herod. And, and he was known to be a very tyrannical and ruthless ruler. Um, history tells us that one day, um, in order to squash a suppression, he had 300 men slain in, in the Jewish temple courts, just like that on a moment's notice, to send a message. Um, so he was a tyrant. He was a cruel king. Um, and Joseph un- realizes that he's, as he's heading out back to Israel, that Herod's son is still in charge, right? He had feared Herod, and and if you guys know the biblical story, Herod had had every child under two years of age killed because Herod was trying to track down the Christ child so that 
the Christ king, the baby child, would not become uh, a risen king who would, who, would, who, would, who would dethrone the empire in any way. And, but Herod was gone now. Herod was dead. And here was his son who had come into power who still remained a threat uh, to the Christ child. And so when Joseph hears what's going on, that his son is now in power, he is gripped with fear. He says, um, the scripture says um, that, that he was afraid to go there because he knew his son was in charge. And having been warned in a dream, this is dream number four, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, which is like further up northeast. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth, so it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarite. Now I want you to geographically grapple with what's going on here. He had to actually make a 170 kilometer, it's like a 105 mile journey from Egypt all the way to Galilee. He couldn't really stop in, in Judea because of King Herod's eldest son being in power. He had to travel even further and go up to Galilee, and that was like a 105-mile journey, right? If you thought the 40 miles first going from from Bethlehem to Egypt was, was long, this is 105 miles, right? So this is no easy thing. But he does it, again, because the angel communicates this directive to him in a dream. Again, you don't see any evidence, any recounting, any scriptural narrative talking about Joseph pushing back, right? If you know, if you read God's word from beginning to end, there are, it's chock full of characters who always push back at God whenever God asks them um, to do something, right? And, and, and Joseph, in all four accounts, in all four dreams, he never utters one word of resistance. He just does. He just follows. He just gets up and executes and doesn't push back. And I think, I I can't think of a better amazing example of what spiritual nimbleness is all about. And Joseph exemplifies that amazingly. Now, What's, what's interesting about this third dream is that, it, and the fourth dream, is that the, the angel brings Joseph to this place first um, in Israel and, and, and then in the fourth dream asks Joseph to move from that Israel area all the way up to Galilee. Now what's interesting is that Joseph is probably thinking when when he comes to this place in Israel, why is God bringing me here, right? Why is he bringing me from the safety of Egypt to this hotbed again? Like, you know, any other man, any lesser man would probably be angry with God because he's bringing him back into an area that's a hotbed, right? But the thing about Joseph is he's, all scripture says is that he's fearful, but he know, he's had enough history with God and the Holy Spirit to know that he can trust God in the, amidst that confusion, to redirect him one more time and say, don't stop here. I just brought you here, but I want you to keep going. He presses in further. He presses past that confusion and he is able to be taken from that area 
in, in Israel all the way up to Galilee where he hides, he withdraws in the small town of Nazareth where Jesus would then grow up in his formative years. Um, and I think that is where most people lose it. A lot of us can get past and push against the cultural norms. We can also push against the comfort. But when things get confusing, the third C, that's when we become really bitter and angry towards God. Uh, we saw that in the, in the wilderness experience that we've been talking about the last few months, how the nation of Israel, when they got to places of confusion, they would just lash out at Moses and, and, um, and at God uh, when things got really confusing. And what's impressive about Joseph is he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He trusts God enough to, and, and stays nimble so that he's, he's, he's open to God's corrective redirecting hand mid-step to take him to Galilee instead of stopping at, um, in, in, in the heart of um, Israel. So, so this, this is something that, that really, really, really needs to be valued here. Um, I, I know what those moments of confusion look like, right? That where our family has kind of gone through, pushed against cultural stuff, we pushed against comfort, but then we get hit with these moments of confusion and it just re- causes your world to spin. I remember at age seven, we had come to the United States and we had just escaped a civil war where I knew what it felt like to be a second class citizen. And then I come here and my dad experiences racism for the first time when he becomes a manager at a, at a deli restaurant in Glendale. For those of you who don't know our local history, like 30 years ago, um, Glendale was a very racially explosive area. And he had things spray painted on, on his, his wall within two, three months of us coming to the country, telling him to go back home. Um, and so I had never thought that America, the land of paradise, um, would, 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 when I'm coming from the third world, that I would experience what it felt to be a second-class citizen in a whole different way. Um, I remember that point of confusion when we were pushing past comfort and culture and all of that, and, and, and we were finally progressing upward as immigrant families and, and kind of establishing ourselves and saving up enough money to buy a home. And I was 15. Things were slowly going well. And then my mom gets cancer and she dies. And it reels you into this area of confusion. Lord, I have pushed past the comfort. I have pushed past the, the, the cultural barriers. But now you just have me confused. I remember at age 18, because I had lost my mom, I wanted to stay home to go to school and college. And so I thought USC, that had a great accelerated eight-year program for medicine, would be a wonderful place to go. And then I get waitlisted and I get, um, they come to the last person on the wait list and they say, I'm sorry, we took everybody ahead of you, but you don't get to go now. Um, the door is closed. And so, again, hit with this wave of confusion. What I want to tell you guys this morning is 25 years. You fast forward 25 years from, from that point in my life and I have seen God's hand of faithfulness as I've pushed past that confusion, right? And, 
And I want to tell you, like, the, the, the very things that, that were circles of confusion became the very seedbed for the things that formed who I am today. Right? Me getting, it, watching what it felt like and experiencing what it felt like to be a second-class citizen on two separate continents just created in me a fire to never, ever, ever devalue any single person that God has created, that they're made in the spitting image of God, and to understand the sanctity and the power and the preciousness of human life and the dignity that comes with God's creation, like that never left me because of that of, of pressing past that confusion with God. I will never forget how treating my mom as a cancer patient at 15 years, running IV lines on her, actually fostered the seeds of me becoming a doctor eventually in life. I remember, it's funny, I didn't get into USC. They didn't think I was good enough to be a student. But now I'm a faculty at their school of medicine. And it's amazing how pushing past that confusion for 25 years worth has led me to this point. But I want to tell you that 25 years is a long time. And what I've learned in the last 25 years is I want to be and I need to be more like Joseph, right? There are things of long suffering where God provides breakthrough, but so often God wants us to be nimble and move quickly because he is accelerating and doing things at a time and a pace that is much faster than, than our eyes can see or our minds can comprehend or ears can hear. He is moving and in his space at God's speed, right? The world, we have seen what warp speed can do. We have vaccines here at a faster time than ever before, before COVID-19, right? And, and we've developed vaccines that work really, really well 95% of the time. And the world has seen the value in moving at warp speed um, because of an impressing me. Now, how much more God, how much more God, the creator of the universe, when he says, I'm going to move at my speed, we need to catch up. We need to catch up and keep pace with him. When he drops that seed, when he drops that thought, when he says, move, when he says, I'm going to breathe this into you, I'm going to breathe conviction into you, I'm going to drop something overnight tonight while you sleep, when you wake up in the morning, you better be ready to receive that and your soul better recognize and move like Joseph moved. Move like Joseph moved. Push past the culture. Push past the comfort. Push past the confusion. Be nimble. Be spiritually nimble. Be light-footed. Don't be stuck in your ways of thinking. Don't, be, don't let thought processes from other people keep you from moving. Don't let your comfort zones keep you from moving. Don't let confusion even keep you from moving. Just press on, press on, press on. Because once I have deposited my thing in you, if your soul recognizes that I am with you, then that's all that you need. That's all that you need. As we close today, I want to tell you, I'm getting better. I'm not perfect, but I'm a lot better than at this than I was 25 years ago. I'm learning more and more what it means to be more nimble, to be more light-footed. You know, 
I want to tell you this last week, um, I want to share with you a story that happened that kind of brought these things together for me in a very real way. As a family medicine doctor at Kaiser and as the guy who's in charge of our department, I have to work on system things all the time to kind of mobilize doctors and nurses and staff. And, and our clinic covers like 40,000 patients. And, and especially now that this, there's this COVID surge happening, we need to be more nimble than ever before. And in the last two, three weeks, like every single day in my clinical practice, I have to deal with at least 25, 30, 40 positive COVID patients, most of whom I'm dealing with over the phone or through video visits, um, but some face-to-face uh, in, in my full PPE gear. Um, our hospitals are flooded with COVID pneumonia patients right now. And, and so in the midst of all of this, um, what happened last week is that um, every day I get 25 patients on my schedule, most of whom are COVID-positive patients at the very least. And I have to decide, uh, they all have times, and I have to call them at specific times. And, and you know, we follow the Kaiser protocol, and we, when we finish with one patient, we see another one, and then when we're done with that one, we move on to the next, and we follow an order. And every day I will get emails from patients and their family members saying, can you please call me earlier? Can you please call me sooner? Can you not wait till 4 o'clock? Can you call me at 9 o'clock? Can you call me at 10 o'clock, even though my appointment is later on that day? And every day I have to sit in that space and figure out how am I going to balance all these people that I need to see? In what order am I going to see them? And uh, there was a particular patient who had a 3 p.m. appointment with me. And, and they had um, COVID, they were positive for COVID, and I knew that. And, um, and one of their family members uh, texted me um, and, and said, is there any way you could call them earlier because I'm concerned? Now, I'll tell you that very same day, I had seven or eight other family members reach out to me with that same request, right? And every day prior to that, I would always have to tell everybody, you know, please hold on. I will get to you. I need to see these other people before I talk to you. So just hang in there. Um, but, but my soul recognized something that was different. The Holy Spirit just, I was in my car, just reached out to me when I got that text message and say, and, and, and told me in a way that only my soul would recognize that this is different and move differently. All right? Move, move with nimbleness. Don't be stuck in the way of how you're doing things as a Kaiser doctor. There is validity to that. But in this case, I am breaking through and I am telling you, you need to move differently because the way this is coming is different. And I can sense my, whole, my soul being moved by, by God's Holy Spirit saying, move differently. And so in order for me to do that, I, I, I literally pulled my car into the Kaiser garage and I pulled out my phones and I started um, texting this individual back, this family member, and I told them, okay, I w- the moment I get in, I will, I will follow up with, with your family member right now. I won't wait four hours. And so 
In order for me to do that, I had to break the cultural protocol at Kaiser. I had to skip past other patients that were way ahead of this patient and, and call this patient. Um, so I had to push past the culture. I had to push past the, the comfort of doing that. I literally had to stop the car, run out of uh, the of my car, and I had other meetings and other things going on, but I... I knew that God was at work, so I had to push past the comfort. And then I called the patient up, and I said, hey, what's going on? You know, your family member was concerned about you. I was supposed to call you in four hours. And I start talking to this person, and this person actually seems like they're doing okay. And so I then had to deal with confusion, right? I'm like, Lord, you deposited in me. My soul recognized the fact that you wanted me to talk to this person uh, before the 12 others that were ahead of him. And I, my soul recognized that. What's up? He sounds relatively stable. And at that point, I remember saying, Lord, I just need clarity in this. I trust you. Um, and I kept talking and God just dropped one thing in me. He said, ask him what his home oxygen level is, right? And I wouldn't have thought to ask that because he was talking and breathing fine. And the moment I asked him that question, he took out his little pulse oximeter, he put it on his finger, and he said, Doc, it's 82%. It's 82%. I was floored because somebody who's talking that comfortably with me would be in the 90s, right? But it was 82%. I immediately told him, we got to call 911. I got in touch with another family member and they called him and rushed him to the hospital. And when he got there, um, they literally told him, had you waited two, three more hours, you probably would have died. And you would have had hypoxemic brain injury by that point and nobody would have found you. And when he got out of the hospital a couple days later safely, he told me, um, Dr. Nanda, you know, God... God was really upon this situation. God was really with you, and he was really with me because had you waited till 3 o'clock, if you didn't call me at 11.30 and a.m., but if you had waited till 3 p.m., I would be dead today. That was spiritual nimbleness for me, and God is continuing to train me every single day of my life to say, when, when I tell you to move, you move without question. You move without regard to culture. You move without regard to comfort. You move without regard to confusion. You just move. If your soul recognizes that I have spoken, just move. Just move. Hebrews 3.15 says, Today, if you hear, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. I believe as you're at home listening to this sermon that God wants to do an extraordinary work in you now and in the year ahead. I want to wish you a happy new year because I am so joyful that in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the horrible year um, of disastrous events, that we are sons and daughters of a living God um, who can actually move real time and who can operate outside of everything that we know. 
so much so that he can plant seeds in us, that he can breathe prophetic particles in us, that he can tell us and cause us to move at a moment's notice. And if we are willing, if we are willing to be that nimble and, and, and be willing to, to risk cultural uh, norms, comfort, and confusion, and we're willing to move, great things can happen. Those seeds can become harvested and breakthroughs will happen over and over again. And so I want to wish you a happy new year and welcome you to begin to move more and more as Joseph did. A man who hardly uttered a word that was captured in Scripture, but whose actions actions to flee to Egypt, actions to come back, actions to move um, at a moment's notice uh, without any pushback to God change the course of human history. Um, So Lord, as we end today, um, I just want to pray, Father, and we ask that you would give us nimble hearts, nimble spirits, um, a nimble attitude, Lord, that says, when you move, Lord, we move. If you tell us to go to the right, we go right. If you tell us to go to the left, we go left. If you tell us to jump, we jump. Um, We know that we may have questions. We know we may have fears. But we want to get better and better at moving loosely, at being light-footed, at not being stuck, but watching how you bless and how you move and how you perform breakthrough after breakthrough if we're only willing to keep up with you. Um, And so, Lord, let this new year be a year where we keep up with you time and time again. Lord, let let us not wait another 25 years to learn those principles, Lord. Let Let that play itself out. Even in this week ahead, I pray for every one of us today who's watching that we would experience the value of spiritual nimbleness, what it means, Lord, to move so quickly in keeping time with you. Um, that we will see the breakthrough, Lord, and we will see the value and we will see the power and we will see your signs, wonders, and miracles as we keep up with you. So Happy New Year, everybody. In Jesus' name, um, we welcome the year ahead. We are thankful, Lord, for, for getting us through this year and we look forward to, Lord, um, you moving us to keep pace with you in 2021 and beyond. In Jesus' name. Amen.